Amen? Hallelujah. I believe God's got a plan for me. Amen? Let's turn our Bibles today. You may think that this is a strange message to begin, but we'll break in next week and, and give a traditional, uh, some insight into the birth of Jesus. But today I want to continue kind of along the lines. This was my intent last week that I present this message to you. And uh, I believe it's going to uh, encourage us. Revelations 1, 17. Towards the end of January, I will, beginning, I will begin a series uh, on Revelations. I'll be preaching the book of Revelations. And uh, we will be having a great big mat across, be talking about time frames and so forth. And, uh, and, and I'm a, a literalist. I, I do not believe that everything is a symbolism. I don't believe that the scorpions in the air are going to be the new helicopters. I believe God is scaring the ungodly. It says they'll, they'll cry for the mountains to fall upon them. I believe that when it says that scorpions are flying through the air, I believe they're scorpions. I don't think God has to have our technology to get a point across. Listen, when the tribulation starts, it'll be so frightful. You'll wish to God, you, if you're here, you'll wish to God that you'd gotten saved. And it'll drive men to repentance. And uh, so it's not just, oh, well, you know, we got helicopters in the air. That don't scare nobody. Let a 50-foot scorpion come sweeping through the neighborhood. Throw your mother-in-law out there as a test pilot. <clears throat> and let me tell you, and I'm, I'm going to be uh, preaching on it and... Uh, like I said, I'm a realist. I'm a literalist when it comes to, and some people say, well, you know, no, you look, we look through a glass darkly, but we don't have to be so stupid. We have to make it palatable to the world. Amen. There, there's no, you wait till you get to heaven. It'll freak you out. Talk about video games. Everybody that plays video games will throw them overboard and sit around the throne and just watch six-headed beasts fly around. Boy, talk about games yeah that that'll be a a war zone hallelujah so but today i want to talk to you along the lines of sound the trumpet and i am pressed with the urgency to call people to prepare themselves and to sound the trumpet simply means that we need to sound out and in the Old Testament, there were different trumpets. There were trumpets that would prepare people to gather around the tabernacle. There were trumpets that were prepared, that were sounded to prepare men for war. There were trumpets that were uh, used to, for people to prepare, to sanctify themselves, to meet the Lord or to go up to the Mount of God. And through the Bible, there are many sounds of the trumpet that comes to the body of Christ. They're not always used in the word trumpet, but they are to arrest our attention. They are to lay hold of us and stop us from continuing in a direction and to change course and to position ourselves in the will and the purpose of God. And so trumpets were very instrumental. And uh, we today need to know that God is sounding a trumpet to the church. He is sounding a trumpet to the church. It's not a bad trumpet, it's a good trumpet, amen? 
And uh, before we go to, uh, where did I tell you to turn Revelations? Uh, let's first go to Isaiah 21, 6. I'm sorry. Isaiah 21, verse 6. <clears throat> and uh, trumpets were, uh, when people were coming to battle or preparing or readying their self, were usually orchestrated by a watchman. A watchman was someone that they chose out of the ranks of Israel. It may be a soldier. It just may be a faithful man. It may be a priest. Uh, really was no uh, office uh, added to it or any special criteria. But he needed to be aware and he needed to stay awake. In Isaiah 21, 6, it says this, For thus hath the Lord said unto me, Go set a watchman. Let him declare what he seeth. And he saw a chariot with a couple of horsemen, a chariot of asses, and a chariot of camels, and he hearkened diligently with much heed. And he cried, A lion! In other words, a watchman is set to warn people of the pending dangers that are coming. And then it says that he cried, A lion, my Lord, I stand continually upon the watchtower in the daytime, and I am set in my ward whole nights. And then if you'll go over to verse 11, and it says, And the burden of Dunam, he calleth to me out of seer. Watchman, what of the night? Watchman, what of the night? And the watchman saith, The morning cometh, and also the night. If ye will inquire, inquire ye, return, come. Now here a watchman is set up, and it is the burden of Dunam. Now, dunam, that word means that there is a voice. The word dunam means simply death and ruin. In other words, out of death and ruin, God usually brings up a voice of a watchman. And he calls Israel from where they have fallen, and it causes them to return. And then it says this in Verse 11, and he calleth to me out of seer. The word seer is the same word that is used of Esau. It is he calls to them out of the midst of those that have sold their birthrights for a morsel of nothing. In other words, a watchman is called not only to warn of danger, but also to call people up out of the place where they have fallen in sin and to cause them to return to the Lord. It is something that shakes them. In 1 Corinthians, if you'll go to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter and verse 33, we'll get into it in just a second. We're just getting some foundation. So we need to have watchmen today. Could I get an amen? And watchmen that will spend their time in whole days and whole nights watching for the dangers of the community or gain dangers of the nation. And so here comes this watchman and he's set up. And out of the death and the ruin, he is raised up 
and he's given a voice. And that voice is directed to those that used to be the Jacobs, but now have become the Esau's. In other words, they were people of covenant, but now they have become sons of rebellion and they have sold out their covenant for a morsel of bread. And then it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, and it says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Now that is a fact of life. That if you allow your life to come into contact with unclean habits, verbiage, natures, characteristics, or attitudes that it will corrupt you. It will, you will not change it, it will corrupt you. Oh, but I'm strong, I, I know. Listen, listen, said the wise man to the crazy person. It will corrupt you. Do you hear me? You're not smarter than God and God knows the end from the beginning. No matter what you do, you are going to fall pray and you are going to be corrupted that's why we have to come out from among them touch not the unclean thing if you touch it you join yourself to it then you will become as same as those that you touch the leper could not touch a clean person a clean person would become defiled because the leper was defiled if a person touched a dead man's body they would be corrupted until the sun went down. Why? Because there was corruption in the dead man's life. You can't change the dead man, you can't change the leper, and you can't change the spots of a leopard. What you have to do is you have to make sure that you watch what is coming into your life, least your life and your mannerisms as a Christian become corrupted. And then it says in verse 34, it says, awake. Awake. Who is yelling awake? The watchman. The watchman is crying. Why is he crying? Because people are asleep. And he says, awake unto righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame. Now the word awake simply means to return to yourself from a drunken stupor. In other words, people can be drunken because of the multitude of busyness in life. We can get intoxicated with the things of the world. We can get drawn, as, drawn aside. And bottom line is we become people that are supposed to be in the kingdom, but we act like people that are of this world. And it says that to awake, in other words, return yourself from a drunken stupor and become sober. In other words, sober yourself up. Get a hold of yourself. And it says, return to the sober-mindedness that you had to stir yourself back up to godly actions. To godly actions. And then if you'll go to 2 Peter 3, 1 through 4, you say, man, we're reading a lot of Scripture. That's why the Bible is written, that we can read it. Hallelujah. Amen. And uh, 2 Peter 3, 1. We're going to get to our message here, but I, I think this is important. 2 Peter 3.1, Peter says, This second epistle, beloved, I write unto you in both which I stir up. 
arouse you, cause you to turn from where you're at and to come back. It says, I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. These that ye may be mindful of the words which were once spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us the apostles and of the Lord Jesus our Savior. Knowing this first, know this, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying where, notice what it says, where is the promise of his coming? To since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue that they, as they were from the beginning of the creation. In other words, scoffers are going to come and downplay the urgency of preparing ourselves for the coming of the Lord. In other words, they say, look, let's eat, drink, and be merry. Because this is not the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is far off. They promised it. But it's, it's such, such a vague promise that we cannot count on it. So let us enjoy what God has given us without God being the center of what we do. That's really what it's saying. So here they downplay the rapture. But you and I must realize that we are in the last hours. I, I believe that. And I am I'm moved with an urgency that we as a people must reach the world because there is a latter rain that is going to begin. You can call it revival. You can call it an outpouring. You can call it whatever you want. But God is about to sweep across this nation and across this world. And God is looking for people that he's going to use. God is looking for people that have sanctified themselves. He's looking for a bride that have their... Uh, lamps filled with oil god is looking for people that are ready and awakened and are living and exercising themselves unto righteousness so that they are not bound by sin and separated from god now here it says that one of the things that scoffers false teachers a scoffer is a false teacher that he eludes to certain truths but then draws you away through deception kind of like a, a fishing bait. It may look like a minnow, but that thing will bite you back. And uh, the fish comes out thinking, hi, man, oh man, God bless me. Oh, this is so good. It looks good. I feel the vibration. And before you know it, he's being drugged through the water, thrown into a boat. And by that time, he's being gutted. He's being uh, filleted and he's being fried. And all because of a deceptive truth because of a deceptive truth and so when we start hearing people you know the rapture is going to come and and you know it's down in the future and all that kind of stuff listen jesus is more about your eternity than he is about your moment amen jesus is about preparing us to take us away not just helping us be blessed in the habitation that we have we have a life that is a vapor that is here one day and gone the next and we must use it to its fullest benefits and that is that we prepare to meet our God. Amen. And you say, well, you're talking doom and gloom. I'm not talking doom and gloom yet. And if, if we live right, we don't have to worry about doom and gloom. Amen. All right, so there are scoffers, false teachers, those that dilute the truth 
and deceive those that hear them. Now, if you go down to verse 8, and we're going to read from 8 to 10, but, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto... Oh, I'm sorry, that's verse 7. Let's go to verse 8, I'm sorry. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. Don't be ignorant. Be wise, considerate, understand, and put a priority on the importance of what it brings you. Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that the day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. In other words, God's promise has no definition of time. And it says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some may count slackness, but is long-suffering to, to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But, notice what it says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now, what is the whole subject from verse 1 down to verse 10? The coming of the Lord. Preparing for God. Preparing for God. And in the midst of that, scoffers and deceivers are going to lead us away to the point that they preach based on the lust of their flesh. Look, we believe in blessing. I believe in the abundance of God. I'm blessed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. I'm blessed going in and out. I am the head, not the tail. Everything I put my hands to is going to be blessed. No matter how fast I run, the blessings of God will overtake me. Listen, I'm telling you, God protects me. God lifts me up. God brings me through. God promotes me. God enlarges me. God increases me. He gives me homes that I have not paid for, homes that I haven't built. He gives me fields that I have not tilled. God gives me harvest fruit trees that I am not pruning. Listen, God is on my side. I am blessed of the Lord. But that is not the focus of my life. The focus of my life is that I stay awake and that I live right righteously before the Father that the world may come to know him and that God can flow through me and that God can flow on me and that God can flow towards me but also that God can be known to the world and my purpose is to use this vapor to prepare to meet my God. That is the only important factor that any believer has to hold on to that the Lord is coming. And so the whole counsel and the whole thing about 2 Peter 3 is this, the day of the Lord. People are mocking the coming of God. People are mocking it's not going to happen. People never preach about it. They never awaken. There is no watchman. It doesn't matter what's happening. Hey, we're just here. It's kind of like a social club. Lots of people in the church are like Sadducees. They don't believe in death. They don't believe, I mean, uh, they don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in heaven. They don't believe in God. They're just a bunch of religious idiots. 
Well, listen, you might be a Pharisee. A Pharisee says, I believe God, but I refuse to be motivated and living by faith in the Word of God. In other words, they say there is a power, but they refuse to let it govern them. They refuse to let it motivate them. They refuse to let it change them. And what we've got to do is stop being Sadducees and Pharisees, and we've got to be the church, the bride that's preparing herself to meet the coming bridegroom. Hallelujah. If we were without hope in the resurrection, we are above all men most miserable. And I want to tell you something. I'm not miserable. I'm a happy camper. Hallelujah. And it says this. And the Lord, and verse 10. But the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. And in which that the heavens shall pass away with great noise. And the elements shall melt away with fervent heat. And the earth also. And the work that as, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And then it says, seeing these things are going to happen, why don't we prepare ourselves? Peter's preaching the urgency of the coming of the Lord. Hallelujah. Now let's go to Revelations 1, 17. Revelations 1, 17. Hallelujah. Let's prepare. And I know you want seven steps how to be blessed. Seven steps of instant wealth. Hallelujah. Seven steps to a new car. Hallelujah. Seven steps to a better you. <laughs> I'll tell you how to get a better you. Put off the old you. Put on the new you. Hallelujah. That'll, that'll help you get a better you. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Revelations 117. Quentin was reading this book. Mother's been reading to him out of Revelation. Everybody in his class is afraid of Revelations. He went to them and said, hey, you don't have to be afraid of reading Revelations. He said, you, he said because it'll help you get away from hell. And uh, he read the part in there that you have left your first love. He said, oh, man, Mom. He said, they, they want me to play in this travel league. And Nikki said, you know, Quentin, that's on Sunday. He said, I know it. He said, I think maybe I better not do that because that might put something before God. Might put something before God. You know, we need to accept God as dear children. Amen. We need to be prepared. So the book of Revelations is not fearful unless you are not in the church. And caught in the rapture. After that, it's going to be a frightful thing. Now there are three sections to Revelations. The first section is the revelation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that takes place from Revelations 1 down to Revelations 120. And then there is the revelation of what is known as the church age. And after that, it goes from chapter 2, chapter 3, and as you enter into chapter 4, it now changes. And it changes now to the display of the wrath of God during great tribulation. Now, in Revelations 1.17, it says this, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. 
And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and I am the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive evermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. Write all these things which thou hast seen. What thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which are to come. Now the things that John has seen is in chapter 1. Who Christ is. The overcomer. He sees the work of Christ through the blood. The kings and priests. He sees him as the beginning and the end. Secondly, he says, and the things which are. What are the things that they are? Things are, are the condition of the church in the day of John the Revelator. The things that are to be are the things that will be activated during the Great Tribulation from chapter 4 on. So there are three phases to it, but I want to talk to you today about the things that are. And then he says in verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches so there are seven angels in this vision and there are seven churches the reason that there are seven churches is that in this church age, it takes place in Asia Minor. Asia Minor has about 100, 120 churches in the whole region. These seven churches are influential. In other words, they are larger than the ordinary congregation. And Jesus uses them because what? The other churches here, the influential churches say they will take as gospel. Everything produces after its own kind. So Jesus is putting his focus on seven churches, which is known as the church age. And so in verse 20, Jesus said, this is a mystery. And then if you'll go to Revelations 2.1, Revelations 2.1, don't worry, we're going to get into it. Hallelujah. It says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. And it says, Who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now we have a mystery that's already begun to be unveiled in Revelations 1.20. The seven stars are seven angels seven angels held in jesus's right hand what are the seven stars or the seven angels the word simply means a messenger it simply means something that will voice the voice of another and the translation is pastors men that speak for god so when we look at the seven angels the stars that Jesus has in his hand, these are the pastors of these seven churches. 
You say, well, well, you're just exalting yourself. Listen, just read verse 20 in chapter 1. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not puffing anybody up. I'm telling you that Jesus speaks to the head of a church to speak to an assembly. The church is the candlestick. Notice that Jesus walks among the church. He's walking among the seven candlesticks. He's speaking to the angels of the church, but he's walking in and out of the church. Thus, what we discover is the revelation that men bring forth from the pulpit is Jesus' directive through his examination of the church. And so Jesus sees the seasons. He sees all of these things that are going on in the church. He sees the seed of Satan. He sees everything that's going on. And what he does, he puts a word in the angel or the servant or the pastor's mouth for the church. Now, the great threat in these seven churches is that Jesus will take the candlestick from an assembly. In other words, if men do not adhere to the words that Jesus speaks, and if men don't speak what Jesus tells them to speak, what will happen? Jesus says, I will come and remove your candlestick. Have you ever wondered why churches flourish one time and then pretty soon they're just gone? Or their message was relevant and now it's watered down? Well, it's because Jesus leaves the church and he takes with it its identity. Now, it may be an assembly, but it simply doesn't belong to God. There are lots of things that take place in the world today that are not God, but have great crowds. Amen? Uh, you know, how about uh, the country, uh, what is this thing over here? Country concert. I mean, people come from all over the place to lay on the hill and get drunk. Who the Fort Wayne, I mean, uh, Fort Lormie is known for the country concert. Used to be Kenton known as the coon dog trials. Now they moved it to Lima. Lima doesn't even know it's got something worse. They think it's a blessing. Now moving right along. So we have to understand that everything that is a crowd isn't God. And so in this passage of scripture, Jesus tells us that he is intimately involved in the affairs of of the church and he inspires that which men speak if they are in the place where Jesus can that they will speak words that would direct the congregation and prepare them for the coming rapture of the church could I get an amen absolutely praise God now these seven churches represent again their reflection of the hundreds of churches that are in Asia Minor. Now, Asia Minor started with the Apostle Paul preaching to them. Can you go to Acts 19? I know it's history, but I, I, it, it'll help you. And, uh, and it'll also confirm why John was raised up. Acts the 19th chapter. And let's look at, uh, what verse do I want to look at? Uh, let's go down to verse 
7. And it says this, And the men were about 12. And he, Paul, went into the synagogue and spake boldly in the space of three months, disputing and persuading and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily with the school of one Tyrannius. And this continued for the space of two years, and all that which dwelt in where? Asia. Everybody in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greek. Now, what came out of the preaching? Somebody say, the church. Okay, now here we have these seven influential churches born out of the preaching of Paul, and that's fine. They're established in doctrine. They're established in a, a, a revelation of who Christ is. They're established in the faith. But, like every church, they go through a seasons. And they come to a season where they need a watchman. Somebody say a watchman. Well, why didn't they just continue in the thing? Because in the last day there were scoffers. And they deceived the people and the people departed from that which Paul had delivered to them so what is John the Revelator? He is a watchman. What does a watchman do? He cries out what he sees. What does John, God, Jesus tell John? Tell them what you have seen, what is, and what will to come. He is the watchman for the end time church. Hallelujah. And so in the midst of a thriving church community, hundreds of churches, God raises up a watchman. Why? Because the church is being deceived and separating itself from its very foundation. Well, that can't happen. It's happening all over. It's called the work of iniquity. Come on, hallelujah. You know, no, but the devil doesn't bring a box to your household and say, hi, I'm here to put your kids on drugs and cause your children to run away and to be prostitutes and, and whoremongers and bank robbers. And Here, here, would you let me in? Why, sure, come on in. They ain't got nothing else to do. He comes in subtly. He's more subtle than anything else in the world. And he gets into the church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now go to 2 Timothy 1.15. So we see that Paul, in actuality, preached the whole world to the whole world in the area of Asia Minor, and they received it, and these churches were born out of it. God's adding to the church, but the church begins to waver and get separated from God. So he raises up a watchman, John the Revelator. 2 Timothy 1.11 says this, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this cause I also suffered the things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against 
the day. Hold fast the form of sound doctrine, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in thee. And then it says this, thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelius and Hermogenia, yeah, Herman. Do you see what Paul said? Everybody heard the gospel, but then all of a sudden they turned from him. The same thing took place in the church of Galatia, in Galatians, the third chapter. Who hath bewitched you that you have turned from the faith that I delivered unto you? And Paul said, let me tell you something. A man or an angel preach unto you any other gospel. Let him be accursed. Now, why did John the Revelator rise up? Because the church of Asia is turning from God. This is, just, this is only in one lifetime. This hasn't happened over hundreds of years. It happened in one lifetime, Paul's lifetime. The church hears, is born, thrives, and turns away. What does God do with John the Revelator in the midst of the turning away of Asia? God raises up a watchman. And he says, speak what you have seen, Speak the things that are and speak the things that I've showed you to come. John is a watchman to the church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, now let's go to, hallelujah. Let's go to Revelations 1, 3 through 4. 1, 3 through 4. Hallelujah. I hope you're grasping a little of this. There's just so much I'm trying to get in there. My brain is not real big. And, and so I've got to give it in small blurbs and, or it leaks out. And uh, Revelations 1-3. Blessed is he that readeth that they may hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is... Oh, the time is at hand. John is the watchman sounding the trumpet. Hallelujah. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia that have turned from Paul, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Now we see that John has been raised up and John has a voice to the seven churches. Now, as we listen to what John is saying to us, we understand that it's time that the church prepare. Now, people would say, well, they've been preaching that for generations. And I believe it will happen in my lifetime. But if it doesn't, it's still true. And you don't have enough time to prepare or not to prepare for the coming of the Lord. Let's just be real. Jesus may come your way tonight. 
It might not be the way of a rapture, but it will may be the way of death. Are you ready? It may not be the way you think, but it may be that the days of your end have come to their fullest. Now, I believe I'm going to live to be 92 years old. Absolutely, I just believe that. But I don't have some crystal ball, and I don't have a time monitor on God. Enoch walked with God. He was, and then he wasn't. Moses went up to visit to God, and he just, God took him. So, you know, we, we don't know everything. We think we do. We don't. And so we have to be prepared every day as if it's our last. Amen. When you lay down your head, you may die before you awake. I had a man one time see me in, in the grocery store. said, Pastor, I'm so sorry. I haven't been in church and gave me these excuses. I said, hey, man, well, well, why don't you just come? He said, I'll be there tomorrow. He said, I'll see you tomorrow. I said, okay. He never saw me tomorrow. I saw him. I saw him in his house as they loaded him on the gurney to take him to the morgue. And I asked the guys, I said, what did he die of? The guy said, there ain't no reason this guy should be dead. He's just gone. Well, you got to die of something. <laughs> Tell that to him. No, you, you don't need to die of no, nothing. You just need to know that when your spirit is gone, your body is dead. And if Jesus says now, it'll be now. Amen. We need to be ready. Come on, the day of the Lord is upon us. You might not, well, the rapture might. Well, maybe it's not the rapture, but maybe it's the day of the Lord for you. You got to be ready, hallelujah. Praise God. So we understand that it is by the grace and the mercy of God that Jesus warns or sets a, uh, a uh, watchman up on the tower. Paul preaches, people turn from it. But God is merciful that he raises up John the Revelator and he beckons to the church. He cries out of what, will, what he has seen, what he is seeing, and what he shall see. He is the watchman. Are we listening? He speaks what he hears the Lord speak. And we need to hear what God is saying to us as a church and as to believers. Amen? Remember that judgment that Jesus speaks to a church is never out of anger. What it is is out of mercy and grace. Jesus is concerned again about your future more so than you not enjoying the moment that you're in. All right. Okay, let's go to Revelations and uh, chapter 2 and let's look at verse 5. Whew, man. Verse 5 through, well, let's go to, ah, gosh, let's go to verse 3 and read down to uh, verse 7. And hast borne and hast patience for my name's sake. Hast thou labored and hast not fainted? Nevertheless, whoo, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Now think, Jesus tells them all of the good things. Understand, good works do not cast away 
the penalty of sin. And then it says this, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. There's only two ways to love God. Anybody know what they are? First, John 14, 26, If you love me, keep my commandments. Keep God's commandments. Now, if you say you love him and you don't, then you don't. You've got to keep the commandments. The second thing, if you don't love them that you see, you can't love him whom you have not seen. And that comes into service, dedication, and devotion to the well-being of other believers. And if you like yourself more than them, if you always consider what it's going to cost you to do what God's asked you to do for them, then you are in love with yourself and not others. And you do not love God. Pretty simple, but man, it carries a sting with it. Could have get an amen. Absolutely. All right. Now, down here in verse 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. And do what? What do you repent of? Somebody say sin. So what Jesus is saying, because you have left your first love, you have fallen, and you need to repent. But they have fallen, and they don't even recognize it. Let me say this. When God looks into your life, or God reveals something into your life, he's not trying to condemn you. He's trying to rescue you. The only reason that God reveals the sin in the seven churches of Revelation, he says, whom I love, I chasten. Listen, if you're without rebuke, and you're without correction, then you are on the loveless side of God. Oh, God loves everybody. Mm, The Bible says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and if you keep my commandments, my Father will love you. If you don't keep God's commandments, two and two is four. You don't keep God's commandments, he doesn't love you. Not that he's not gracious to you because you can repent. But love means that he is providing, caring, blessing, heaping, protecting, preserving. And God's not doing that to people that are in sin. You say, oh man, that's hard, Pastor. No, that's fact. I'm just telling you what the watchman of the church is saying I didn't say this this is God saying this Phyllis what was that song I used to love so much there's a kind of hush all over the world tonight all over the world people just like us are falling in love it's pretty quiet in this place it must remind me of the churches that used to have fire in them like Wesley's where he'd preach and thousands of people would gather and he'd preach a message and out in the field of nowhere and people would fall out of trees be under the power of God and that every bar in the city would shut down 
There was shouting in the camp, hallelujah. There were praises. There was a move of God. But as they started allowing things to come in, it ended up with a bunch of voiceless people. How about Luther? We stand and protest against 97 indicted wrongs against the Catholic Church. And now, they simply are a part of the Catholic Church. Let us not fall into the silence of a loveless God. Oh, you're against Methodist Lucius. Be quiet. I, I didn't say that. Be careful. You know, you add to the book, you'll be cursed. Revelation to 22, last verse. All right. So, now, here it says, and let's read on down. Wherefore, remember from whence thou art fallen, repent, and do thy first works. Do your first works, or else I will come and bless thee. I will come quickly, and I will remove thy what? Do you know that God will take the identity of his church out of the midst of an assembly and leave them standing on their own. The sad thing of it is many people wouldn't even know it had happened. And then it says, hallelujah. And I will remove thy candlestick and of, the, of his place except thou repent. But this is thou hast, that thou hast hated the deeds of the Nicolodians, which also I hate. Then Jesus gives good news. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Repent. Turn from, come back to that which you have fallen away from. But you're doing good deeds. We can't get so active in the kingdom things that we forget our love relationship with God. Amen? Our doing things cannot replace a life of obedience and faith as well as a life of service and devotion to those whom we see. And so, Jesus calls a watchman, the church of Asia, so powerful. Jesus is walking among the midst of them, and he's recognizing these things. Where is my church? Where are my people? Where are those that once sought me? Where are those that once were patient? that stood the test? Where are those that once cried out? Where are those that once were dedicated? Where are those that once were faithful? Where is my church? John, rise up and sound the trumpet for the day of the Lord is upon them. Do you know that we can prolong the time that people are saved upon the planet Earth? 
Notice what it said. If you don't repent, I'll come quickly. But if you do, I'll elongate your time to win people. Hallelujah. Isn't that amazing? He'll give us the tree of life. So here we are called to follow God. Now I'm going to quickly say things that don't mean a hill of beans to you, but you need to hear them. In these seven churches are seven periods of the church. Seven time frames. They call them age. The word age simply means a time frame. And it means that A.D. doesn't mean after the death of Jesus, but it does mean the day of our Lord. comes from a Latin word. So the first is Ephesians. He speaks to the Ephesus church. This is the apostolic age. This is the age where doctrine, understanding, and revelation is given to the apostles and the prophets of that age. And it is found in Ephesians 2.20 that we are built upon the foundation and of the doctrine of the prophets and the apostles. That takes place 170 A.D. 170 A.D. That's when the church of Ephesus is addressed. And then we have the church of Samaria. Samaria. Yep. It is the age of persecution. This reveals something to us. Every church is built on doctrine. Every church goes through persecution. It takes place in 170 A.D. through 312 A.D. Then the next church is Pergamos. Pergamos. It is the age of false doctrine. It is the age of false doctrine. Every church goes through the battle of false doctrines. We see that in Jude. We are to contend with the faith. That's why we all have to watch. And that takes place in the year 312 A.D. to 606 A.D. Doesn't mean a hill of beans to maybe you, but it will help you. And then there is, what is it, the church at Thetatari? Thank you, there. Thank you. It is the age of darkness. It go, every church goes through times where it can't see where it's going or what it's doing. Now, I want, what I want you to see is the importance of the angel of the church awakening every church out of these time frames that it goes through. Sometimes people just think, well, well he's just preaching a message. I, listen, I got more to do. Look, I can go preach messages, and I can be blessed by doing it. But I have a place that God has set me in an assembly. And he has taken me from his hand and placed me in an assembly among the candlesticks. And I have got to be the watchman, and I have got to cry out and not faint. People say, well, you're on a rampage. You're just on a rampage. Let me rant in the will of God. And praise God, hope to be that you hear me someday. Now, this is the age of darkness. It takes place from 606 A.D. to 1520 A.D. And then there is Sardius. 
It is the age of reformation. It is the age where the church is beginning to be transformed and beginning to be renewed in its identity and its purpose. It's a time of change. And it takes place in 1520 A.D. and 1750 A.D. Then there is the church at Philadelphia. It is the age of missions. Every church should have missions. Not just, well, we're reaching our community. We are called to the world, to the world, to the world, not just to our community. Amen. And so that takes place in the year 1750 to 1906. That's in our time frame that we remember. And then the seventh church is the church of Laodicea. It is the age of apostasy. The age of apostasy. That is the fulfillment of 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 10. It is the work of the spirit of iniquity paving the way for the son of perdition to take the, those, the Jewish nation and those that have rejected Christ, backslidden, fallen away, or those that have never known Christ into a great tribulation. The church will be with Christ. Hallelujah. And so what we must do is listen to the watchman. I didn't get to all of it, but listen to the watchman. Next time we come together, I don't want to do it on Christmas morning. People think that's sacrilegious. But we're going to look at the indictments of God because if the indictments of God caused Jesus to pull the candlestick, are we in danger of being indicted of God and the candlestick being pulled from our life? I am emphatic. People call me, you may not know this, but people call me, other pastors and preachers call me Mr. Conservative. In a not so, not in a way that it would lift you up. You're just conservative, Peter. I'm not conservative. Narrow is the way that leadeth unto righteousness. Broad is the way of destruction. I want to hear the voice of God. I want to do what God wants me to do. And at all costs, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So John the Revelator is crying out to us as a church. He's crying out to us that we are to awake. To awake. Because we have fallen away. The church of Asia Minor, born in one man's life, falling away in one man's life. Rise up, the watchman of John, and cry out to the church, awake, awake. And so we need to awake. Could I get an amen? And let's be what God wants us to be. The day of the Lord is at hand. I'm telling you, it's at hand. And I believe in everything that the Bible says. But more so than anything, I believe that Jesus is coming back for a church without spot and wrinkle. Does that mean a perfect church? That means a church with an intent being what he wants. What he wants us.
I'm trying to bring it, God. Hallelujah. God's bringing lightning with it. Hallelujah. And flashes. Praise God. So I want, I want you to realize that John the Revelator, I want you to see him in a new light, that he is the watchman. He is reporting what Jesus has shown him, the resurrected Christ. He's reporting what is, what is right now taking place, the seven stages of every church that goes through. And in every church, those stages go through the watchman, the angel of that church, is out to awaken the people. See him as a watchman. See him as a voice of love, as a voice of invitation. Come home. Return unto me. Return unto me. You don't even realize where you have fallen. But I have seen where you were and where you are. And I warn you out of grace and mercy. I love you. Is not out of condemnation, is not out of rejection, not out of hatred, is not out of discouragement, disappointment. Whom I love, I chasten. Whom I love, I chasten. Hallelujah. Every head bowed. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hey, Jesus. Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of the book of Revelations, calling the church, prepare, for there will come a time of great tribulation. Be not separated from me. Be joined to me, saith the Lord. Join yourself. Do your first works over. Rebirth your passion your faithfulness, your commitment, your devotion. Let not the Martha syndrome, let not the busyness of life, let not the trick and deception of, of things and wealth take away from that which you do for me. Stir yourself, saith the Lord. Awake, awake, awake. Sleep not. Give not your eyes to slumber, saith the Lord. For the day of the Lord is upon you. It is nearer than when you have ever believed. Prepare, prepare, sanctify yourself and prepare to meet God. Be not among those that stand off and build idols to replace me. I will come quickly, saith the Lord. Be prepared. Be prepared. I gave my blood. Be prepared. Church, be prepared. I walk among the assembly. Be prepared. He that hath a ear, hear, hear, hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying today. The Spirit of the Lord is saying, I will bless and I will prosper you. I will lift you up. 
I will enlarge you and increase you, saith the Lord. For it is I who have given you favor and given you the power to get wealth. And it is I who is transferring homes and lands into your life. But forget not that it is I that have given thee that wealth, the power to get wealth, to establish the kingdom. The kingdom. Hallelujah. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're a sinner. If you're here today and you've backslidden, you've turned away just like the churches in Asia, you're not ready. You need to repent. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, and you say, Pastor, I don't want to be left behind. There's only one way of escape, and that is to awake under your need of righteousness, repent of your sins, confess Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, and live for Him the rest of your life. Those of you that are backslidden, it's time for you to awake, to awake and prepare, to reclean your house, separate the leaven from your life, and fall in love with God again and do your first works over. Now, if you're here today and you're a sinner, if you're here today and you're a backslider, this is your chance. The greatest moment of this service is that you connect with Jesus Christ again and establish Him as Lord of your life. Now, I'm going to ask this congregation to stand to their feet and if you are out there, I'm asking you right now as they're standing to get out of your seat and come down here and meet me right here at the altar that you can commit your life to Jesus Christ. Congregation, please stand now. If you're here, you're a sinner, you're a backslider. There's no way of painting any other color. If you're not ready for heaven, if Jesus has not taken away your sins, if you've not been bathed in the blood of Jesus, then you're not ready. You're not ready. You're not ready. Come on, wherever you are, anybody, wherever you are, Okay, praise God. I believe we're not here. Come on. Hallelujah. Somebody else? Here comes another one. Come on. Somebody. Wherever you are, hallelujah. Praise God. Anybody else? Hallelujah. Come. Hallelujah. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Anyone else? All righty. Congratulations. Anybody can believe something. It takes courage to stand up. Take a stand of faith and believe and establish a place of new beginnings that God can begun, begin a new work. Let's everybody pray this prayer. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is your only begotten Son. I believe 
that he came to this world. He died on the cross for my sins. That he died, he was buried, and on the third day, God, you raised him from the dead. I believe he is now alive. And I, by faith, confess him as Lord of my life. Come into my heart, Jesus. I receive you now. As you have died for me, I will now live for you. Lead me and guide me. I'm now your child. I denounce every hidden work of darkness. I belong to God. His ways are my ways. From this day forward, I am born again. I am a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Congratulations. John and Nita, they have a book for you. Congratulations. Where are you from? Really? Praise God. Good. Good deal. You did it right. Good deal. God bless you guys. God bless you guys. Hallelujah. Come on, give them a round of applause, guys. Hey, Jesus. Hallelujah. I know some of you might say, oh, I, I wanted to bring somebody next Sunday, but I'm afraid of you, Pastor. No, next Sunday I won't be preaching baby powder and blankets. And it's safe to bring your friends. It's always safe. It's just whether they'll get burnt by the fire that's falling. Hallelujah. All right, let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, God, for every family member that is here and every family that is represented here. I pray, God, for businesses you would bless them. I pray, God, that you would unite families. I pray, God, that we would look at ourselves and lay aside, God, that stuff that just so easily besets us. God, and I pray that you would visit us in the night hours and show us what needs to be dealt with, what doesn't. Help us, God, be a people prepared, a people that are doing the works that we began to do in the beginning. In Jesus' name. Wednesday night, I'll be teaching on the working of miracles. 